Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is, episode 68, for the love of the game, let's roll. Alright, alright, welcome back. Episode 68 for the love of the game. It is good to be back in the studio, back behind the mic. What is happening, everybody? Now, there is a lot to discuss. A lot has happened since the, in the last two weeks, since the last episode. The Super Bowl matchup is set. We've got the Chiefs against the 49ers in Miami in about two weeks from this past Sunday. And I'll be doing a special all-Super Bowl preview next week when the game gets closer. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. But before we do that, uh, before delving into the world of sports... I can't tell you how many people messaged me saying that they loved The Bachelor segment, ladies loved it, and the fellas who watched The Bachelor, there are more of you than, um, than we would think, but you know what? It's time to get out of the closet, embrace it, embrace your Bachelor fanhood, and many of you asked me to come on and talk about it, so shout out to my uh, recurring guest, Lizzie, Elisa Verstendig, for allowing me to uh, you know, be a little versatile and talk about The Bachelor a little bit. Um, stuff is always Lizzie, uh, and to those who love The Bachelor content, uh, we may be discussing it at the end of this show, so we shall see how it goes. But let's start off with some sports. As I mentioned before, Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl, the Chiefs knocked off the Cinderella six-seeded Tennessee Titans 35-24, the first appearance in the Super Bowl for Kansas City in over 50 years. Titans played basically the perfect first half for them. Derrick Henry was moving the chains. They controlled the clock, and they were up 17-14 with about two and a half minutes left in the first half. And then just like that, Patrick Mahomes strikes. Scores on on an over 30-yard run right before the half in Tennessee. Well, that was all she wrote for them. Derrick Henry had less than 70 yards on the ground in the Chiefs' advance. One thing about Patrick Mahomes before going into the NFC side of things, I always found it perplexing, funny and kind of stupid actually, that the entire media was fawning and drooling all over Lamar Jackson this year. And Lamar had an awesome year. But Patrick Mahomes is so clearly the best quarterback in the league when healthy. He has more talent than any QB who's ever played the position, whether it's being able to run, being able to throw on the run, being able to throw it from the pocket. He has more talent than anybody ever. Remember, this is his second full year starting. I mean, come on now. I am very excited for the Patrick Mahomes era. He's so incredibly frightening to root against, so exciting. I I can't speak enough good stuff about him. Uh, Hopefully he'll be the face of the league for uh, many years to come. On to the NFC, 49ers against the Packers in San Francisco. Well, this was a laugher. The 49ers ended up winning 37 
20, but it really wasn't that close. Not nearly as close as the final score indicated. The Niners absolutely dominated in this game. They ran all over the Packers to the tune of 285 yards on the ground. Raheem Mostert had 220 himself and four touchdowns. And so much for the running game not being able to win in today's NFL. You see the Titans go to the AFC uh, title game. The 49ers are in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, take that, the, the analytics nerds. Quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo for the San Francisco 49ers didn't have to throw a pass for over a quarter. Absolutely unreal. So, yeah, Chiefs-Niners should be a great game. More on this game in a full podcast, as I mentioned, uh, next week, hopefully. So while the NFL is king, the biggest story in sports has been the Houston Astros cheating scandal. It's been the biggest story uh, the last week, and the fallout is still coming. But here are a few highlights of what has happened so far. The Astros, starting in 2017, have been guilty of stealing signs, but not just regular stealing signs, but they're using cameras, different types of technology to alert their hitters on what pitches are coming. They would bang trash cans after picking up the signs from a camera to alert the hitters in the box what type of pitch is coming, whether it's a fastball or off-speed. Additionally, there's growing suspicions and possible evidence that the Astros hitters were guilty of wearing some type of buzzer or vibrating device on their bodies to alert them to what pitches are coming, not just the trash cans. I mean, this is very bad. The Astros have been punished to the tune of the general manager and... um, and manager were suspended a year, but both guys ended up getting fired. They lose a first and second round pick in the next two drafts and were fined $5 million. Stiff, but I really don't think stiff enough. Red Sox manager Alex Cora, who was a bench coach for the Astros in 2017, was fired by the Red Sox, and he would have been suspended for a year as well, likely had the Red Sox not fired him first. Now, it is unclear what he did with the Red Sox, but this firing uh, and... I guess looming suspension, even though he got fired first, was all due to his involvement with the Houston Astros. Not really anything directly that he had to do with the Red Sox, since by all accounts, he was the ringleader of this uh, operation in Houston. Now, the Red Sox are being investigated by the MLB to see if Cora actually brought his dirty ways to Boston as well, so things are still unfolding. And Carlos Beltran, who was hired by the Mets to be the manager... Well, uh, he was with these 2017 uh, Houston Astros, and apparently he was involved in implementing this scheme. So he was immediately fired by the Mets. That's what we know so far. More is due to come out. uh, But I have a few thoughts uh, for where we stand as of yet. Now, as most things in life, not everything is black and white. There's always a shade of, of gray. What's considered dark? What's not considered dark? Stealing signs has always been in baseball. It's been there forever. But there are levels to this. Someone on second base altering a hitter when he figures something out, well, that's just part of the game. That's the gamesmanship. What the Astros did is so beyond part of the game, it's laughable. The -the over-the-top nature of this scheme is insane. And the trickle-down effect because of this goes so deep because baseball players and baseball history is purely stats-based. And this can affect guys' ability to negotiate contracts and earn money. And it's not just wins and losses because somebody who had an unfair advantage of knowing when what the pitches are coming via technology can go into free agency and command a bigger salary than somebody who didn't have this advantage. Once you start using a battery in technology, it is way beyond the scope of gamesmanship. And that has nothing to do with the fact that my New York Yankees fell victims here twice in the ALCS, might I add. The punishment should have been stiffer. I believe that the 27, I should say the 2017 World Series title should be vacated. 
Now, I didn't originally believe that, but the more and more I'm, I'm reading about this, I truly, honestly believe that. I've also argued with people who bring up steroids and how is this different from steroid users. And the answer is simple. Steroids is on an individual level. Individual players acting as individuals choosing to take PEDs. This is way worse because this is an organizational situation. It goes way beyond individual players acting themselves. It, to me, it's just that simple. And ironically, this is actually good for baseball in a way. The story had le- has led every single talk show. Baseball doesn't get talked about nationally like it once did. Well, this story changed that for a week at least. And also, uh, in terms of the Mets, the Mets firing Beltran, I mean, this was a purely PR move. And honestly, sometimes some people think it's a mulligan for the Mets. Uh, and for their fans who didn't want Beltran wanted a different manager, so it gives them a kind of a do-over. But the biggest winner in all this is uh, the guy by the name of John Boy, the Twitter handle John Boy, who's a great follower, by the way, if you like baseball, who's all over this story and is now a very prominent member of the baseball media. John Boy is going to do very well off this. Um, but in terms of the scandal, I want to see how it unfolds, and I plan on revisiting the story in a couple of weeks to see how the dust uh, fully settles. On to tonight's main topic, NBA happenings. A few quick thoughts before I bring on a first-time guest to talk some NBA stuff. One, the Milwaukee Bucks are 39 and 6. Yes, 39 and 6. They have a point differential of plus 12.7 points. That means they're beating opponents by an average of 12.7 points a game, close to 13 points a game. By far the best in the league. And this is historic level stuff. Their bench has been good all year, and Giannis is better than ever and continuing to get better. Yeah, his free throw issues may be something. But he's still the best player in the league. Uh, I, I think it, it's probably a pretty decent margin. I picked them last year to win the whole thing, and then Kawhi went nuts. But guess what? I'm doing it again this year. I believe the Milwaukee Bucks will be this year's uh, 2020 NBA champion. Two, the bottom of the Western Conference is now super interesting and fun to watch and really uh, interesting to monitor. Seven teams are within five games of each other for the eighth seed. The Grizzlies right now, the Memphis Grizzlies, are the uh, eighth seed at this moment. John Morant is a damn superstar. A damn superstar and and just so awesome. The Pelicans get Zion back uh, this week and have uh, a rising star in Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball. Both of their stocks are going up. I didn't imagine Brandon Ingram being this good this year, um, but he's balling out of control, and he's uh, you know, in contention to make the All-Star team, which we're going to talk about later. And Lonzo Ball, I've always been a Lonzo believer, uh, always held his stock, and the stock is rising. Feels good. Feels good to be on the right side of that, it looks like. Lots of intrigue down the stretch with uh, the bottom of the Western Conference playoff race. Another team in this mix is uh, the Portland Trailblazers. And quick shout-out to Damian Lillard, who was in some type of zone last night. 61 points in a win, was cooking with some serious gas. I mean, the only other guy who can do and make the shots that Dame made last night is Stephen Curry when he's healthy. Tough season for Portland so far, but Dame is just awesome. Four, after four years... Of hating on the guy, I'm back to enjoying Chris Paul again. He's been nothing short of excellent this year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. At the beginning of the year, you thought he was just a bad contract that he wasn't going to buy in, but that hasn't been the case. This Oklahoma City team is a gritty bunch, and Chris Paul, according to the stats, 
is the most clutch player in the league. Shea Gilgis Alexander, who came over in the Paul George trade, looks like he's going to be a star. They play tough. They have picks going forward. I really think what we all thought was going to be a disaster or a rebuild type of year in Oklahoma City, they can be a top five seed in the West. Maybe even if they try to make a win-now trade and try and go for it this year, they can host a a first-round playoff series and get home court advantage. And last night, the sweet revenge for Chris Paul as he demolished the Houston Rockets. And by the way, in that game, did anybody notice Mr. Efficient, Mr. Analytics, James Harden, go 9 for 29 from the field and 1 for 17 from 3? Like, I don't know, maybe if the three ball's not falling, try to do something else. Just a thought. I mean, last night is a microcosm of why the Houston Rockets will never win the way they play because they just don't change and they're stubborn. And when it doesn't work, it's going to rear its ugly head. They're not going to try and do anything else. And they're just going to lose like they do all the time. Lastly, in this edition of the NBA's asshole of the day, well, what do you know? It's Kyrie Irving once again. So what did Kyrie Irving do lately to have him keep such an honor? Well, after missing 26 games, he's back. He's played three games, and the Nets have gone one and two in those games. The Nets are now two and eight in their last ten. But hey, the culture is great, apparently. So the Nets' record is way better without Kyrie Irving than with Kyrie Irving. But that's not just it. The Nets played a game against the Jazz. They lost, where Kyrie goes 6-for-21 and then has the chutzpah to say this after the game. And I quote, I read this and I quote, It's transparent. It's out there. It's glaring. What pieces we need in order to be at the next level, dot, dot, dot. We're going to do the best we can with the guys we have in our locker room now, dot, dot, dot. It's pretty glaring. We need one or two more pieces that will complement myself. KD, DJ, GT, Spence, Karras, and we'll see how it evolves. Like, what, dude? Are you serious? I mean, my guy, you signed a max deal with the expectation that signing a max deal will get the Nets over the hump. If you're a top 12 player that you think you are, which you are not, but you believe you are, you shouldn't need more help than what you have right now. Newsflash, my guy. You are not a top 12 player, not even close. And congrats on throwing the rest of your team that you didn't name in your little soliloquy under the bus like they're trash. Those are the same guys, by the way, that won 42 games last year. 42 games. Also, Jared Allen is better than DeAndre Jordan, and Joe Harris is an above-average two-guard who showed close to 40, I should say around 40% from three. What a jackass. Oh, And the icing on the cake is, you just shot 6 for 21. So you stunk up the joint. And then you say that. But it's not like, this is the end. Because, wait, there's more. Here's a clip from yesterday about Kyrie Irving talking on MLK Day. And here is what he had to say. I was out for those seven weeks and not saying anything. And still people are still saying things about me it's it's inevitable you know they crucified martin luther king for speaking about peace and social integration it was it, you know you could go back to historical leaders and great people in society that do great things and they're still going to talk 
from. It is what it is. Like, I know what I stand for. I'm a great family man. I have great values, core values. This basketball stuff is a game at the end of the day. It's dramatized. It's entertainment for people and fans. I'm a human being at the end of the day. I'm going to keep on reiterating that. But like I said, my focus is making sure my teammates are great and our organization is at a championship level. And when I... Oh, so now you're just like Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, what an asshole. He is the worst type, the worst type of person around. The guy who considers himself cerebral, yet is just an idiot. Now, I've made a brand on hating James Harden. But Kyrie Irving is a thousand times worse. He is the biggest asshole in all of sports. And a complete cancer to any team. Here is a clip of my guy... Uh, Ryan Rossillo, who I respect so much, talking about Kyrie Irving on the Bill Simmons podcast from today. Articles. I, I used to try to argue against it in Boston a little bit, and I didn't really like him. And I'd be yeah. like, okay, that's still ridiculous. Yeah, like, the close stats are tight really games, and you know, you need somebody who's a creator like him. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, it's already happening in the next place. And, and to the, the larger point here is that you go, okay, so what, what are we doing now? We're doing this. I think therefore I am mode on like, we lose a game. I'm a max guy and the fans are pissed and we're underperforming and I'm a shitty leader and I bum everybody else out. But Hey, like I'm a man, we share the same blood. And you're like, yeah, just show up to fucking work, man. Like I, like I would love anybody listening right now, you know, any writer late, in the locker room, no, but anybody in any industry and we all have somebody to answer to. And just to have it be like, hey, did you not show up to work for three days? Hey, look, you know, this is great, but like I'm family first. And, you know, I like we are all sharing the same galaxy. So just remember that. Couldn't have said it any better. I mean, this guy forced himself out in Cleveland in a, in a weird way. Was a disaster in Boston. Now he's a disaster with the Nets. He's a cancer to every single team he's been on. This guy could just go fuck right off. I absolutely loathe this guy. The worst of the worst without actually being a criminal in the world of sports. Anyway, with that said, let's. I'm about to bring on a first-time guest to talk a little bit of NBA stuff. Um, again, a little bit more on the Western Conference uh, bottom of the playoff race and uh, some all-star selections in just one second. Okay, so my first guest tonight is a, uh, a first-time guest, somebody who uh, I had the pleasure of meeting through a WhatsApp group text about the NBA, somebody who is as quick with a response as I am. I appreciate his knowledge, so I needed to bring him on to talk about a lot of stuff that's going on in the league. Noted Laker fan living on the East Coast, so it makes it a little bit easier, uh, Mr. Josh Friedman. Josh, how are we doing? Welcome to the show. Feeling great. Uh, feel honored to be on with you guys, and uh, really excited. Awesome. So let's uh, let's dive right in. Obviously, being a Laker fan, quick state about the Lakers. How are you feeling right now? I know they just lost to the Celtics, pretty bad fashion yesterday. But overall, what what's your um, what are your feelings like right now? Are you concerned about Davis? Where's your head at? You know, I think as a Laker fan, uh, going through so many you know recent tough years, we've got to be happy with where we are. I don't think anybody expected it to come together this quickly to be at 30, 34 and nine, you know, given the, you know, the, the bashing yesterday in Boston, which always hurts because it's Boston. Um, but I think we still, you know, I think Laker fans are still feeling pretty good about where we're at. Um, you know, we know we've got a, a little bit of a Clipper complex we need to overcome and, and, uh, and put a W against, uh, 
a W against them. But for the most part, I think we're, we're feeling good. We're feeling confident. As you should. Now, do you have any concerns about Davis's injury? I mean, I know he was kind of maybe kind of rushed back a little bit. Like, what are your thoughts on the Davis situation? Yeah, you know, I I, I hope they're I hope they're waiting until he's really healthy. Um, I, I don't think at this point there's any need to really rush him back. Uh, you know, I, you know, from my end, I wish LeBron would take some more uh, some minutes off and and not push it as hard in the regular season. I do think where we finish seeding wise definitely makes a difference. Um, but, uh, but you know, the number one concern has got to be health for AD and health for LeBron. Um, but I'm, again, I'm not as concerned. The MRI MRIs came back positive um, and hopefully nothing long-term. You know, I think with AD, there's always a concern of injury. He's got that injury history, uh, but his talent is just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take the few games off uh, for, for all that he gives us. Uh, I agree with you. I think I think they got to try and curtail LeBron's minutes a little bit. And it's funny you talk about seeding because we're going to get to the bottom of the uh, Western Conference playoff picture in just a second, um, and and that ties in nicely. Uh, but yeah, I, I think LeBron he's he's doing a lot. He's exerting a lot of e- effort and energy right now, and it's year seventeen. And, and maybe it's maybe at some point they got to cut it back a little bit and, and and it'll be easier if Davis is at full strength because I do think they want to prove a point that they're one of the two best teams record-wise and seed-wise in the West, which I think they're going to be. Um, but before we, we go into the uh, who they may play in the uh, in the first round, uh, the, the issue with LeBron going to his uh, son's high school game before the game, uh, did, did you have a major issue with it or is it just like a minor blimp? Because I, I'm kind of straddling the fence here. The more I've uh, I've heard about it uh, in the last couple of couple of hours since it, it went down. You know, similar to what I said with AD, where you know he's always got an injury concern, and we know that, but the talent you know outweighs all that concern. You know, similar with LeBron, where you know you know Coach Vogel might want him to scale back minutes, but LeBron's going to do what LeBron wants. Um, when it comes to this, also. You know, for the most part, LeBron's going to do what LeBron wants. Um, I think Laker Nation still feels confident that his goal is winning a championship. Um, he brought in AD for that reason. Uh, you know, I would say it's the first year, especially for me. Uh, last year was like a transitional period. I feel like LeBron's a Laker, and I feel like he wants to bring a title back to L.A. Um, so, you know, one game doesn't create a big difference for me. Um, you know, I know it happened maybe with Milwaukee also. Uh, but I think when push comes to shove, LeBron's focus is on bringing a title back, and, and you know that alleviates the rest of my concerns. So I'm with you in a, to a point, and, and here's where I stand. And by the way, I, I, I learned later on after the initial reaction that it was an hour and a half away. It was in Springfield, Massachusetts. They were playing in Boston. It's an hour and a half drive. Like, it's not far, right? Um, so... Yeah, in this particular instance, not the biggest deal. However, we have seen with teams LeBron has been on, specifically in his second stint with the Cavs and with um, and with the Lakers, right, that it's like he's bigger than the organization. And that's a very slippery slope when you're trying to get all these other guys to buy in. And now you'll deal with it because he's been great and he's been engaged this year and he's a a top five player in the league again. No question. But this, he's a diva. 
He's a major diva. As great as he is, he's a major diva. And sometimes, after a while, if it, if something like this snowballs, it gets under people's skin. It got under the skin of the Cavs for a while. It got under the skin of Miami late. I mean, it wasn't as exaggerated, but it got under their skin too. And, and as a Laker fan, that's got to give you a little bit of pause. You know, I, I uh, you know, for me personally, okay, it, you know, it it sure does. Um, I think we've had, you know, especially with Kobe at the later years, some of our uh, our flawed, maybe over the top divas in LA. Um, I would definitely say it's a hard task to to uh, to really outweigh and overshine the Laker organization as a player, just that organization as a whole. You know, the people it's are the crown up, jewel of the NBA, them and the Celtics. You know, people were putting up LeBron murals when he got traded, and people were spray painted and over with Kobe murals. So, I think Laker Nation is is you know holds players accountable regardless of who they are. And, you know, if it ultimately, if the tide turns against LeBron, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to be against Laker Nation. I can tell you that much. But, yeah, I, I think LeBron will be just fine. It's just uh, just a little thought to put out there. But also, before we go on to the uh, bottom of the Western Conference and who the Lakers may play in the first round, I just do have to call out LeBron for, for one thing. And, and as I've said before, he's, he's a great role model. He, he's a good guy. But he's so not self-aware and so not media savvy where it's just like, like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why, why are you saying this? And there are multiple examples of this. But, like, Carmelo Anthony obviously was out of the league for a bit. The Lakers had every opportunity to sign him, right, but didn't. And LeBron, if he said, we're signing Carmelo, Carmelo would have been a Laker. Can we agree on that? Yeah, probably. Carmelo has, has had... You know, he's been pretty good for the Blazers, and he had a stretch where I think he made a game winner or something, or he had a big game, and LeBron tweets out, and y'all thought he was done. Y'all thought he couldn't play anymore. My dude, you had the opportunity to get him a job, and you didn't do it. So for you to tweet that is so incredibly disingenuous. Like, how does anybody advise him on this? It's just crazy. Yeah, I hear you, Aaron. I... You know, I think when it comes down to it, you know, Carmelo's a friend. Yeah, but you can be such a buffoon sometimes, LeBron. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think when it comes down to why he didn't push for it, would probably just understand that defensively, Carmelo is just not going to get minutes on a playoff team. You know, when it comes down to the playoffs, you need guys in there who are going to play defense, and I don't think that's Carmelo. Well, that may be true, but if he's your boy, like, you just can't tweet that then. Just don't tweet it. You can congratulate him, but just don't tweet it. But anyway, that's a minor bone to pick with LeBron. I just had to put it out there. Um, uh, so the uh, the bottom of the Western Conference, which looked to be pretty weak right now, it actually seems exceedingly interesting. I mean, you know, and the Lakers may play one of these teams. And, and there are four teams, I should say five teams for two spots that I really want to focus on. And that's uh, the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, Oklahoma City, and Portland. So let's start with the, the team in the, uh, in the seventh spot, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So are, is it cool to like Chris Paul again? Because he was very hateable for a while. Yeah, you know, I, I think Chris was... You know, CP's been in big markets recently in L.A. and, and Houston, and he, he wasn't getting the, the, the underdog love, and I, I think he's certainly, certainly winning back those fans. 
it, it's funny because my whole thing with Chris Paul was that, you know, for the last couple of years with the Clippers, he did a lot of bitching and complaining to the referees. Just a lot of just, it looked like he was miserable all the time. And then that carried over to Houston and the whole Houston organization bothers me to no end. And then you go into this season, right? It's this albatross contract. The guy looks like he's been washed up and you didn't think that he was going to buy in with this, what seems like going to be a rebuilding team, but they're kind of feisty. Yeah, no, I, I really give it to him for not for not just folding in and just saying, okay, you know, this is not a team I want to I want to play for. You, you really got to give him the credit for, you know, I, I I think that feistiness comes from him a little bit. I think he's rubbing off. Yeah, on no that. question. And that's uh, that's really been a net positive for them, and you know, I think it makes the organization look really really smart. No, no question. I mean, statistically, he's been the most cut, clutch player in basketball so far. Um, and we're going to get into all-star, but I, I think he's has to be, you know, on the Western conference, all-star team. I think he makes a return to the game. Um, you know, and, and the big thing was they got Shea Gilgis Alexander in the Paul George deal. Uh, is Shea Gilgis Alexander right now, the second best player in his draft class behind Luca? I mean, is that crazy? I don't think that's crazy. Um, you know, you've got a lot, you know, it, it, that the top of that draft is, is is still pretty talented. Aiton's doing really well, and and Trey Young is just putting up tons of stats. Well, we'll we'll get to him when we talk about All Star selections. But, uh, but I, yeah, I have some thoughts. Definitely not crazy to say SGA is up there. Definitely not crazy. Sam Presti, Executive of the Year for the uh, for the trade, for the trades, uh, I should say. You, yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, I'd like to say he, he created the situation. I want I, I I I'm more leaning towards the situation fell into his lap a little bit. Uh, you know, Paul George. If, if Paul George doesn't demand that trade, do they pull the trigger? You know, do, do they pull, right? Do they do this? Which I think a lot of us would have said would have been the smart move, regardless of whether he asked that. But he probably plays it safe if Paul doesn't make that demand. That's a uh, fair point. I, I I I like that. You know what? I I like that. That's a very fair point. You know, but certainly since that, I think that they've been brilliant adding pieces while still getting draft picks, while still being relevant and feisty and, and in playoff contention and getting these young guys uh, uh, experience, I, I, it's definitely been a brilliant move. Well, not only that, being relevant, but I think they're a, a sneakily dangerous playoff team. Like, would it shock you if they, as currently constructed, and I ha- and I admit, like, I haven't really, like, really done a deep dive into, you know, their strength of schedule and, and, and the level of competition that they played. But, but would it shock you if they were the, the five seed? Would it shock you if they made, like, if they reversed course and they actually made, like, a move with all the assets they have to win now? Would it shock you if they hosted a first-round playoff series? Oh man, uh, the five C. I mean, it, it would it wouldn't shock me just given the numbers and, and they're in the middle of that pack. Um, there's some talented teams that they'd have to uh, have to put over, but they're playing well. You know, they continue playing this way. I, I I wouldn't put it past them. Definitely not. Definitely a possibility. And if they played the Lakers in a first round series, and I'm not saying that the Lakers wouldn't be favored because they would, and and I would pick the Lakers. But it would be a series that you'd sweat through a little bit more than you'd want to sweat through would would you say that's accurate uh you know I, I, definitely possible i think that uh one of the lakers defensive weaknesses is usually uh fast guards not that chris is fast but maybe shea gilgis uh you know would give us some troubles there um 
I think they're a little small at the three and the four, besides for Adams. So, you know, I, I do think we'd probably overwhelm them with size. Um, but they'd, they, they'd certainly fight hard and make a, make a game of it, make a series. So, yeah, sure, there's uh, always what to look out there. I'm exceedingly impressed by them. I, I can't say it enough. And I thought that they were not going to – I thought they'd be – I thought they'd be bad. I thought they'd be like 37 win bad. Um, respectable but not great. But they have, you know – really exceeded expectations. Let's talk about another team that's exceeded expectations, the Memphis Grizzlies, who right now sit in the in the eighth spot. So their rookie, you know, number two overall pick, John Morant. And I'd like to bring it up that the Knicks, of course, fell to the number three pick um, and were one pick away from John Morant, which, of course, makes me exceedingly sad. But John Morant, I mean, how awesome is that guy? Yeah, I mean, I mean the numbers are just really impressive. 49 from the field, 40 from three, 80 from the line. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a real talent. Uh, the, the, you know, the numbers will probably keep, keep growing as, as he continues to uh, gain experience and, and uh, gain leadership. But, yeah, really, really impressive first year. Uh, it's not even just the numbers. He has a moxie to him where it's like when you watch him, like, first of all, he's not afraid of anything. Not afraid of anything, and and he just has a moxie about him. And and I listen to the you know Chris Vernon on his podcast, who's uh, with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies all the time. And he's just like, and he's talking crap to established veterans. Like he doesn't care. He ain't scared. And I just I, I can't get enough of him. I, I can't get enough of him. And you know, and Memphis has done a really nice job. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a player. Brandon Clark. Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton. It's a nice young core. Like, they will never be, you know, major players in free agency. But, like, the second-tier guys who want to get paid, wouldn't you want to run with those guys? Because that's going to be a playoff team for years to come with Ja. Because he's a star. He's a flat-out star. Yeah, the word the word comes to mind for me is fearless. I, I don't know if you saw the clip of, he, he lit, you know, he was going over over a seven-footer down the lane for, for a dunk. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he's, he's definitely got the athleticism, the talent, the moxie, the leadership, um, and he's fearless. The one, the one area I'd love to see improve, and this will come, I think, as he, as he, uh, as he grows. Uh, right now, only four free throws a game. Um, you know, I think, I, I think that's a, an area, obviously, for him to improve, getting easy points at the free throw line. Um, but that'll come. Yeah, he's, he's, been, he's been fearless. And that's funny because he attacks the lane fearlessly, but there's an art to drawing fouls. And you, know, yeah. and you, and you learn that as you, as you grow. I mean, I can't – and again, we, I mentioned we're going to talk all-star selections. Like, he's not quite there for the top 12 in the West, but it was hard to leave him off. It really was. And the last, you know, before we get into all-star is the, is the Pelicans. Um, a lot of interesting pieces, and they started off really slow. But your boy Brandon Ingram, who came over in the Davis trade, Lonzo. Brandon Ingram is, again, borderline all-star, has been unbelievable this year. Lonzo's played well. The return of Zion Williamson. I, I mean, you have to be excited if you're a Pelicans fan, no? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think I just saw they've got one of the one of the top five easiest schedules in the, the rest of the way. Um, uh, so, you know, you, you certainly have got to be excited. They've had a difficult schedule up until now and to be in contention without Zion, I think they're exceeding expectations. I, I think it's been great for him. I mean, talk to me about Brandon Ingram. I mean, you watched him for two years and you see him this year and maybe it's just opportunity, more opportunity, more heavy lifting for him. 
but but he's just so much more polished. I, yeah, I mean, did so, you anticipate this at all? Like, could, could you have seen a scenario where where he turned into this this early with the Lakers? Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, you know, me and my you know Laker buddies were were really, 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 really hoping that we could keep Brandon in that trade. Um, well, you got to give up something to get something. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were hoping the other pieces maybe throw in Kuzma there instead of instead of Bi, but we were hoping to keep him. I mean, even when I watched him back in Duke. Uh, the polished game has always been there. The talent's always been there. The 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 uh, you know the the brave, the guts to to put the game on the line, put it on your shoulders. Uh, but what I've really seen and really been impressed with is his ability to play in pace. Um, I think his first couple of years in LA, he would hold the ball too long, slow it down, try to go one on one, and not go quickly. Um, but I really think that Alvin Gentry's done a really good job of speeding them up. It really plays to, to Lonzo's strength as well. Um, and, Lonzo's and, been tremendous lately, by the way, and I've always been a Lonzo believer. Yeah, Lonzo knows how to play the game. Lonzo certainly knows how to play the game. He's a talented dude, um, and, and it's really coming together for them. Uh, they got a good connection and a, a, a really young, exciting group, and hopefully New Orleans can get behind them and be supportive and really uh, push that team to get better. And you know, they get Zion back this week. I think he play he makes his debut tomorrow night um, against the Spurs. And for those who forgot, because obviously John Morant has taken uh, this Rookie of the Year race, and I think is you know has locked it up already. But like, and I know it's preseason, but Zion in the preseason was putting up Giannis type numbers, and people are e- easily forget. I know it's preseason, but. Giannis type numbers. He was finishing around the rim against guys like Gobert, like who's arguably the defensive player of the year and has won it before. Like, like Gobert wasn't even there. Like Zion is another guy who's not scared. So the Pelicans have a lot going for them. Um, ultimately, I don't think the Pelicans are going to get there because I think there's going to be, you know, in terms of the playoffs, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve to integrate Ingram and Zion because Ingram's been able to do whatever he wants and. As great as he is, like Zion is go- is going to be the meal ticket, and you got to ingratiate him. But it's going to be really interesting to watch. But one thing before we go into All Star selections, I got to call you your Laker fan fans out for the Lakers exceptionalism. You were hoping that you'd add Kuzma instead of Ingram to get Anthony Davis. Like, come yeah. on! I mean, I-, I think people forget that Brandon didn't play this way last year. Um, and, and Kuzma had a really good year. Yeah, but even still, even still, and I, I, I was a way more lukewarm on Brandon Ingram, but like, he's the number two overall pick. He had the pedigree and like Kuzma's a, a nice player, but that's not netting you Anthony Davis. Hey, us Laker fans work hard for our team. You know, we push our guys. That's why Caruso is, uh, fourth in guard voting right now. Um, I actually like Caruso. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I like Caruso. I think he should play more. We work hard for our guys. We push them hard. All right. So um, the all-star voting has come to an end. Um, The uh, all-star starters are decided on the fans, just so everybody knows. Uh, It's 50% fan vote, 25% media, 25% players, and then the coaches vote on the reserves. So it's always a hotly contested topic to pick your all-star teams. So we're going to do that here. We have not seen each other's selections. So we're going to start with 
the East. And we'll we'll do the starters and then the reserves in the East and then the starters and the reserves in the West. So we'll start with you, Josh. Who are, who are your five starters in the East? Easy. I think you got to start with Giannis. Okay. Uh, he's been he's been the MVP of the league so far, so that's a simple one. I've got I've got Joel in the middle and beat it and beat at center and Siakam finishing my front court. Uh, and then you know just to see their teams succeed, I've got Jimmy Butler and Kemba uh, in my backcourt. So one thing is the NBA is so rigid about the positions that Jimmy Butler is technically only considered a forward, which is ridiculous. Crazy. Ridiculous. Crazy. Um, so mine are, 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 are kind of similar. I've got Kemba and Ben Simmons in the backcourt. I've got Giannis, Jimmy Butler, and Joel Embiid in the frontcourt. I give Jimmy Butler the nod over Siakam because he's played more games and the Miami Heat are the second uh, seed currently in yeah. the East. Who do you have uh, as the subs? Because this is where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, so I also did have Ben Simmons in the, as a sub. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I wouldn't put him in the starting lineup, you know, being, being a Sixer fan also here in Philly. I think we've, we've wanted a little more consistency out of him, but, you know, certainly talented to make the All-Star team. Um, uh, I've got Trey Young on there. Uh, he's really been incredible with his, uh, you know, 28 and 8. Um, oh, Tatum, I, have, I have some thoughts, but we'll, I'll save them. Tatum's been great for the Celtics. Um, I think the Pacers, are, you know, I, I think the Pacers have almost become Sabonis' team. I think they really rely on him. Okay. So I have him there. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I also really wanted to reward, I think, the, I think the Heat have been so successful. I think a lot of that goes to Bam Adebayo. Okay. I think in there as well um and then uh and then i've got you know i'm rounding out and i've got uh bradley beal um you know the stats are there he hasn't really been efficient but the stats the stats are certainly there and um where did my last one go yeah um i, I you know i i'd give uh I, I think i'd give the nod here i i know they haven't been great um but uh but you know uh, i think he's playing his heart out i'd give my my last one to zach levine Okay. All right. So before I give you my reserves, what was your criteria when picking all-star? Like what, what are the things you looked at and valued the most when, when picking these teams? Cause we, you and I differ very much in our reserves. There's some overlap, but there's a lot of difference. Yeah. You know, I, I think the East reserves were a tough one. Um, you know, I tried to take into account team success. Mm-hmm. I think that mattered a lot to me, uh, for the most part. Um, but ultimately, you know, put, put in the most talented guys out there. Uh, if, if there was a talented guy who didn't necessarily have team success, uh, when it came down to it, you know, All-Star Weekend is not necessarily about, you know, it's not all NBA. It's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily a team selection. It's, it's an individual selection. Um, so I definitely included those who I thought were, you know, helping their team. Uh, uh, to, individual standouts. But as well as individual talent, yeah. Okay, so here's here's my thing, and uh, I, I respect that opinion. I wanted and and every year is different, but I want to reward guys that are winning because in the East there are, there are a clear top six te- top six in terms of teams who are really good, right? And then everybody right. else kind of stinks. Okay, um, so my first thing right off the bat is. No Kyrie Irving. I know he was a leader in the vote getter, but he can't be on the team 
because he's a cancer to every team. I'm with you there. Okay. The other thing was, now, the last thing I'll say is, for me to become a first-time All-Star, it's like you have to do something to knock a previous guy off, right, who has the pedigree, right, if things are similar. So either that's going to be having – you know, such great numbers or your team is winning and you're leading your play is leading towards winning. Right. So my subs are Siakam, Sabonis for the Pacers, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, who kept them afloat when Siakam was out, Malcolm Brogdon, who has transformed the Grizzlies. Remember, they're without all-star guard Victor Oladipo. Right. I've got Chris Middleton. The Bucks are 39 and 6. Chris Middleton is averaging basically 25 and 5 and 4, 25 and 4, and he's only playing 29 minutes a game. So the counting stats would be there if he was playing 35 minutes a game. And I reward 39 and 6. I know he's not sexy, I get it, 39 and 6. That matters. And the last one was and I was deciding between a couple of guys here, three guys really: uh, Jason Tatum, Trey Young, and Bradley Beal. Uh, and at first, I thought there's no way I can pick Trey Young. His team's ten and thirty-four, and he's a gunner, right? And he doesn't know how to play winning basketball yet. But you know the on-off. Stats are impressive with him, but like the bottom line is they have 10 wins. So as terrible as they are without him, they're really bad with him on the court. And yeah, John Collins was, was suspended 25 games, but you know, the numbers are so outrageous that, that he was in my last three, but ultimately I went with Bradley Beal. And I know it's a little bit of a contradiction over Tatum, but Bradley Beal has the pedigree and I don't think Tatum has done enough because I think he's been a little inconsistent. I think if you had to choose one between Tatum and Brown, I would choose Tatum just because he carries a bigger burden. But So I went with Bradley Beal with the last spot. But if you wanted to put Tatum there instead of Beal, I'm for it. I hear you. Won't yeah. argue there. All right. So that was kind of long-winded. Um, for the West, who are your starters? Because this is like a lot easier. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot easier. Um, uh, you know, it wouldn't even surprise me if everybody had this. Uh, I've got LeBron, AD, and Kawhi uh, in my front court uh, with Harden and Luca. In there we my go. Back. We're in agreement. On to the reserves. Um, so first reserve, I think you got to give it to uh, to Jokic. Um, he's he's been the engine for that Denver team. I had him too, even though I'm a little uh, disappointed in his play. Yeah, I think, you know, I would certainly say there's there's more untapped talent there. Um, I think he could be in better shape and, you know, work on his game. You know, I, th- I think there's more to come, and hopefully he brings it out. Um, uh, I think Dame Lillard's still having a fantastic season. I know Portland hasn't been as good as they were last year. Uh, I, 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 you know, that might be a leadership from him. Uh, but certainly his numbers on the court have just been incredible. Still, I agree. So far, we're two for two. Um, uh, again, I know he's been hurt, but he's still been playing. Um, you know, I think a good number of games. I did have Paul George on my list. I did too, three for three. But he was questionable because he's getting yeah. to that point where, 
where he may not get enough games, and even if he gets selected, he may not he may choose not to play, so it will open up a spot for somebody else, kind of like Joel Embiid in the East. So, but yeah, on the original twelve, I had Paul George as well. Yeah, I just you know I think that team team success, and I think he's been helping their team a lot, so I definitely have him on there. Um, uh, you know, similar to you, rewarding winning, um, especially in the West where it's you know I think a lot harder to be a top team. I've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. On okay, the team. we uh, we are in agreement. Uh, I, six I, you know, for I, six. Some people want to leave Gobert off, and you know, defensive stats aren't as obvious sometimes. But I think he's he's certainly deserving. I was in a camp, and 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 I was so skeptical on the value of Gobert. And then I was just like, you know, doing a little bit of research. You can't deny how great Gobert is. And I I was late to this party. I was very late to this party. But I'm here now. Gobert's got to be in the game. So, so far, we're six for six. Who's your last guy? Um, well, my last two really were tough. Uh, I, I, I was between. Oh, last two. Uh, I'm sorry. But, last two. Yeah, I was between Westbrook, uh, Booker, and Ingram for the last two spots. Um Mm. I, you know, Russ has really been incredible the last week or so, week and a half. So I had him in there. The Russ number- haters are, are are very silent right now. Yeah, but you know, I, I listen. The numbers are still there, um, and uh, and you know, the team hasn't been as successful as everybody wants. But uh, but he's certainly been a major contributor. And for that last spot, you know, I, I think you could throw it at Booker or at Ingram. I think that they've made their teams into you know, somewhat contenders, um, and, and I'd be fine with either one going that last spot. Interesting. So my 11th spot went to Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul has to be there with how he's – I would pick him over Shade Gilgis Alexander. They are really good, and he's been really good. I think he has to be there. So that was 11, and the last spot was between Westbrook, Devin Booker, and Brandon Ingram. And I really I, – I, and you can change my mind on this. Right now I would go Westbrook only because the team is winning. Uh, his shooting numbers, he's shooting about 45% from the field. He's shooting 77% from the line. Yeah, the three-point shooting's bad. But overall he's been pretty good. I know it looks a little ugly sometimes. So I would pick him over Booker and Ingram. Ingram was my last cut. Really, I I really wanted to get him in there. Um, if you if you really fought for Brandon Ingram over Westbrook, fine. But to me, Chris Paul has to be there. Has to. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I hear you. Um, it, it's certainly a valid opinion. I, I don't think it would shock anybody. Um, I, I, you know, if you know, I, I don't think he's gonna make it. Um, it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, you know, Russ not being there. So I think Russ definitely has to make it. Um, and then. You know, yeah, yeah, Chris could certainly take that last spot for me. Um, but I think Booker and Ingram have just, uh, they've been really impressive. I think, they really have. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think they've taken that jump. It might be a year early for Ingram. I think he might he might make it the following year. Um, but, you know, the West is so hard to make it anyways. It's a loaded lineup. Booker, this, I feel the same way. I was down on Devin Booker. Uh, he's really impressed me this year. I was lukewarm on Ingram. He's really impressed me. The one thing that's most important to me is that Carl Anthony Towns is nowhere near this list because nobody puts up empty calorie stats besides for maybe Trey Young, and Trey Young's 20 years old, so we'll give him a pass right now. 
No one puts up empty calorie stats like Carl Anthony Towns. I can't stand that guy. But anyway, uh, we're getting close on time. Josh, your first time on the show as a guest. How do you think you did? I think you did fantastic. I appreciate it. I, I had a lot of fun. It was fun to to talk to you. This was great. We're going to have to do it again sometime soon later on in the season. Really appreciate the time. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. All the best. Have a good one. All right. Uh, it's Tuesday. So last night was uh, another Exceedingly interesting episode of The Bachelor. Have a couple of extra minutes, so we had to run it back. Uh, the last time we uh, we did this segment just two weeks ago, tons of positive feedback, so we're bringing her back. My Bachelor buddy, Lisa Verstendig. Lizzie, we're back. Hello. I'm so happy to be back. I'm happy we had some good feedback. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many people reached out, uh, DMs. Facebook messages, texts saying that they loved it. Uh, guys, the fellas wanted to be uh, wanted to come on and talk Bachelor. Uh, you know what? Maybe we're starting a revolution here. Yeah, I mean, listen. As long as I keep my position as the number one fanatic, I'm okay if other people come on. That is one thousand percent going to be the case. One thousand percent. So uh, here we go. So last night's episode, obviously. Going back to episode two a little bit, uh, into episode three, we have the uh, the Kelsey versus Hannah Ann um, situation uh, with the champagne. Uh, Hannah Ann mistakenly takes Kelsey's bottle of champagne, pops the cork with Peter. Kelsey obviously freaks out. Um, you know, you have a back and forth between the two. So in this conflict, if you had to take a side, whose side are you taking? So it's actually interesting because last week's episode, I was 100% on Hannah Ann's side. Yes. She seemed, yeah, she seemed very obviously to have no idea what was going on, understandably so. Kelsey seemed like an actual psychopath. Um, but then when it came to this week, and it seemed like they were kind of over it, Hannah Ann was having this like, dramatic crying session about how oh, I would never steal someone's champagne, and she couldn't speak English, and she couldn't say normal words. And then Kelsey seemed a lot more normal. So now I don't really know. I feel like maybe Kelsey was just really drunk last week and was taking out this like emotional like feeling she was having on Hannah Ann. I, I honestly feel kind of split. I think I might even take Kelsey's side at this point. So I'm glad you went there because like you, I was 1000% team Hannah Ann because there are two bottles of champagne. Like how is she supposed to know which bottle of champagne is? But in this week's episode, Hannah Ann looks like maybe the greatest manipulator of all time. Like, I don't think she was still sad about it, but the fact that she was, like, on camera and able to, like, cry on demand, it almost seemed emotionless, no? Yeah, I mean, it just seemed really, really fake. Like, she was just, she thought that after this whole thing that happened, that if she showed tears and it seemed like she really felt badly about it, then, you know, everyone would forgive her. But honestly, at this point, everyone was over it already, and she just looked really dumb. I agree. She looked really stupid, but with all that being said, I'm still team Hannah Ann, and this is why. Because the uh, the essence of the argument was so stupid that I don't think Kelsey could really rebound from that. You know, like it was so ridiculous to start that now Hannah Ann's just like playing it, right? And she's playing to win Hannah Ann. That's one thing she's unapologetic about. She was playing to win. She doesn't care what the other girls think about her. And personally, that is the proper way 
to be a Bachelor contestant or a Bachelorette contestant. You play to win the game, as Herm Edwards said. So she was just given ammo, and now even though she looks a little manipulative and stupid, she's still in the limelight. And anytime you're in the limelight on this show, it's it's good for you. It gives you a better chance. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I will say I think we need to give props to Kelsey because I think she had one of the best comebacks. From yes. like a situation where she looked absolutely terrible and the meme that will go on forever uh, that will just like literally not stop. And now this week she seemed totally normal. I literally forgot it even happened until Hannah Ann mentioned it. It was a big time rebound. Yeah. It was a big time rebound, but you can't escape the visual of her spitting up champagne all over herself. Like that's just not going to go away. It just won't. And you know what? That That's the... That's the stain on the legacy of Kelsey, who, by the way, who I do think, because I don't think she's going to go very far. I do think Kelsey is going, would be a surprise in paradise, a a, a surprisingly good time. She is made for paradise. Okay. So it wasn't just me who thought that immediately. Like Kelsey would be like under the radar, really good in paradise. Uh, The second thing that we needed to discuss is uh, Demi. Demi is back. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I think, yeah, no, I mean, having her back, she, I mean, she's just, as she says, she is the queen of the Bachelor franchise. This is her show. So it makes sense that they would bring her back. I do think it was a little bit ridiculous that the way she tried to play it off was, you know, I was, I'm really good friends with Hannah. That's why I came on her season. And Colton's a really good friend of mine. And that's why I'm here. Like, no, it's not. It's because everyone loves you and the producers want to get ratings. So I actually wanted to ask you about this. You know, obviously, Bachelor alums, there's like this network, right? It's like almost (laughs) – it's like an honor amongst thieves kind of thing, uh, for a lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. But like she and Peter are not tight. Like she and and Hannah Brown were tight. But like eh, she and Peter are not tight. I mean, just think about the timeline. How much time was there even in between the end of his season – of when he was a contestant to when he became the bachelor, how was there that much time for Demi to even become friends with him? It, it just, it doesn't make any sense. But the minute she's on screen, uh, all I could see, uh, or I could hear in my, the back of my mind was everybody going, yes, queen back. <laughs> right. And I, yeah, I, I was totally. in for it. I was in for it. I love Demi. I, I I'm on record saying, you know, Demi's one of the few who she could ruin my life and I'd be okay with it. But, let, but let's talk about the date that Demi picked out. Mm-hmm. The pillow fight and lingerie. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought it was cute. Like, I was fine with it. Okay, so so why? I mean, listen, all the dates that have challenge-type like activities are all stupid. I mean, you remember the first one when they did the stupid relay race. But... I think it's like a cute thing. They all got to wear like cute outfits minus Savannah who had to wear a moo. But other than that, it was like, Oh yeah. Big, fun- L, <laughs> big L for Savannah who happens to be one of the four best looking women on the show wearing a moo. Yeah. yeah. But honestly Yikes. she owned it. I think usually when those situations happen, the girl complains all day long and it becomes a storyline. I think she made a joke about it and then she owned it and it was fine. I think it's like a cute way for Peter to like see them all being fun. I mean, I think it got, it seems a little bit intense. Like people were really getting serious about it. Um, And the one problem I had with it 
was how they actually played the game. So when they each had, you know, two people and whoever won, and then Demi just decided, okay, I'm going to pick the two people that I thought fought the hardest. And she chose obviously the two people who had issues with each other and they already went against each other. So it wasn't even like they each won their separate fight and then were going head to head. They already fought against each other. Yeah. By the way, that's not how a bracket works, right? On a similar <laughs> single elimination bracket, there are two play, two teams or players play one side wins, one side loses the side that wins advances. It was just, it was just bad. Uh, it was just really bad. But my, my big thing was, it's just so cliche. The, the, the pillow fight in the, you know, in lingerie, it's just like, I mean, the whole uh, show is cliche though. No, but, but at least the, at least in the, um, in the relay races or like the, uh, or whatever type of, you know, relay that they had, like the, uh, on like some type of course or whatever. You got, it's just not like, you know, you know, fainty ditzy girls fighting each other in pillow fights that we all fantasize about. Like it, it's just, it, it's a little bit more normal. I, I just, I don't know. I wish they would. Yeah. I've had a lot of issues with the dates so far in this season. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to get to one in a second, but. Yeah, I'll say in the age of feminism, it probably wasn't the best look for ABC and The Bachelor. Well, um, that's, but... a, that's, a, that's another topic that we are not going to broach on this show. <laughs> but other than that, I thought it was. I mean, I don't think it was any better or worse than anything else that they pulled. Well, that actually is a good transition because one of the finalists in that date was Ayala. I think that's how you pronounce her name, right? No, it's um, – no. Like – a lot. I don't know. Alia? Alia. Oh, yeah, something, something like Aliyah, that. right? It's Alia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she was the, the big lightning rod of this episode. Um, what is your take on her? Because, by the way, uh, for those of you and a lot of you who follow my Instagram, when I was going through it in real time on the premiere, she was the first one out of the, episode, out of the limo, and she is an absolute rocket ship in terms of looks. Like, she rounds out the top five in, ter- in terms of looks with Victoria P., Madison, Alaya, I think that's her name, um, Savannah, and... Um, Hannah and Hannah Ann. Those are those are those are the top five in terms of just aesthetically beautiful people. Yeah, I mean, I think she was very obviously being extremely calculated. Now, I don't necessarily always think calculated is bad when it comes Neither to the show I. because Neither do I, I think you way. have to be calculated and you should be in order not only I'm not saying to win, but you if you've watched it before, you understand that there are certain things you should and shouldn't do and, and you need to be calculated. So I don't always mean that in a negative way. I think with her it was negative because it seemed like every person said the same thing. And you could even tell with her when all of a sudden the camera would be on her, she just sat up a little straighter and was all of a sudden like being cute and flirty and like she is a pageant girl. Not to say that you can't have girls that aren't like that. We see Hannah Brown wasn't like that, but I think she was very obviously not really there for him. And she wanted to win just like when she got the crown, she was walking around and so happy about it. And she got caught in the act. I mean, the thing that annoyed me was that when he sent her home, that he was upset about it. Like, that was annoying. Well, well, we're okay. Well, we're going to, well, we're going to get to that, that this is all going to blend together because, you know, I think that's more about Peter than it is her. But I agree. Yeah. I, I, I'm not 100% sure that she's not there, quote, for him, that she just wants to be seen. 
Like, I think that's maybe a little strong. It's hard to know somebody's full intentions. But, like, my biggest issue, and I think I've been consistent about this, is the other girls. Like, why do you care what she's like if she's fake, if she's not? If she is, you know, she'll lose eventually, right? Not, not, not true. I mean, Jed won. <sighs> yes, but I think that was... That was more a case of of Hannah Brown really was was maybe the worst Bachelorette contestant. But I'm just saying, and I know it's the same season, but like Luke, Luke P got to the top four, meaning we've seen it before where these people, most of the time, the people that everyone in the house hates, the Bachelor or Bachelorette likes, because whatever it is, they're very charming. They're a different way around them. And I get it. Listen, obviously, we can't speak to it, but I can imagine being in a house full of girls where you probably like a majority of them and you become friends with them. And then you see a girl who's just so obviously fake and not there for him. And at a certain point, you also have feelings for Peter as a friend of saying, I don't want him to be with someone who he doesn't really know and isn't here for him. And I think, yes, obviously they're being catty and probably dumb in the end because we all know the girl that brings that up isn't winning. But I get where they're coming from. If you really do feel that someone's not genuine, you know, you don't want to be the one that sits around and then, that he ends up with a Jed, and then, you know, we all saw what happened with that. Yeah, but I think that's kind of bullshit, though. I, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of bullshit because I think push comes to shove, and I don't think guy contestants on The Bachelorette are any different. Like, everybody will stab the other dude in the back if they have to to win. Right. If, if that if they really care about that person or even if, if it's just to go far, like there will be backstabbing. So I, I don't think there's like this altruism, too, about like we want him to pick the right guy. Like they want they want to be picked. They want to be so picked for sure. And listen, there is an element of saying that, you know, as each person goes home, there's one more spot for them, you know, and he did take away an extra row that could have been another person. So um, I do get that. And listen, if I ever went on, I would know how to play the game at this point that, you know, you don't be the one that tells him about that. Definitely but not. But in fa- right. But in fairness, <laughs> in fairness to Sydney, Peter put her on the spot. And I don't think that was fair. Well, how did no, she said it first and then Peter put her. On yes. The spot. But Peter put her on the spot like like now you have to speak up but yeah i don't think sydney played it well i don't think it was right for peter to put her on the spot like that and then whatever but let's just be clear about one thing here right peter only you know was conflicted about this because he wanted to bone her later on in the season oh, yeah right? like yeah i mean he doesn't care about her as a person no because she's gorgeous and he wants to bone her that is it and 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 hold that thought, everybody, because we're going to circle back to uh, this notion of Peter in a second. So Victoria P., right? I promise you this will all make sense. Victoria P., the one-on-one. And I just meant – and I mentioned a little bit earlier that I've had issues with the dates so far, especially the one-on-ones. So we're going back to Peter's hometown, right? Like what's with this hometown stuff this early and the family stuff this early. Like they dedicate two episodes to hometowns for a reason because it's supposed to be special, right? Like what's going on here? It's too early. So I have two thoughts on this. I think one is America and Bachelor Nation has had such a positive reaction to Peter's parents and his family that we've never seen before 
that I think they're trying to kind of monopolize on that. Like they get that everyone loves them. On one of the podcasts I listened to, the host talks about how she's obsessed with Peter's mom's Instagram and she follows her. Like they're becoming, they're part of the reason people love Peter is his family. By the so way, I, I hope you're not, I hope you're not cheating on me in terms of listening back to podcasts because, you know, uh, I have to be the number one spot. But if you have course, to use other it's content. Called re- it's called research, okay? It's called Beautiful. Research. Love it. Okay. <laughs> I support that. Uh, of course. And the other aspect is that we've never had a bachelor or bachelorette that grew up and lives five minutes from the mansion. So I think they're just kind of utilizing the resources that they have that they've never had before. And in that sense, I think, they do try to shake things up and make things more dramatic. And like the more you introduce people to your family earlier on, the sooner that they're going to feel like they love you and have feelings for you, the more you're going to get attached to them, the more it's probably going to confuse you. Do I agree with what they're doing and think it's smart for like his future? No, but I get why they're doing it. So I didn't realize that he lives that close to the mansion. So that changes it a little bit. Or I should say makes it less egregious, but but they are doing Peter a disservice. And Peter is doing himself a disservice here because the the one-on-one date with Victoria P was very nice. First of all, what's with all the concerts on the one-on-one date? There's always somebody playing music. It's always a concert. Like get it's lost. Bachelor. I know, but it's ridiculous already. Let's let's switch it up a little bit, right? It's not always a concert. Private concert. Get out of here with filler. It's ridiculous. A little ingenuity. Um, mm-hmm. But that's besides the point. Be- ABC is doing Peter a disservice and Peter is doing himself a major disservice, right? Because when they're sitting down to dinner and obviously Victoria P, who we both love, we both pick to win, who's, mm-hmm. you know, one of my favorites. She's gorgeous. She seems like she's not the biggest airhead. She's clearly been through some shit in her life, right? And has overcome yeah. some stuff. And she is pouring out, like, and, and I guess sometimes you just get in a mode, like, and I've been there too, like, where you, you know you probably should save some of this because it's a little too early on, but you just can't help it, and it just comes out, right? Mm-hmm. You say things that are a little too personal early. I, I've done this before. Um, and, and Peter, his reaction is just so disingenuous, where it's like, where he says, you inspire me every day, right? Stuff like that. Like just going so over the top. And and you use that and you look at the backdrop of what he said to Madison at the vow renewal, which was an insane move that we've already documented. Like he's coming off like the guy who drops the L word being love to have sex with girls. And guys are, are pigs sometimes and do that. I have done that to some extent in my life. I'm not too proud of that looking back, but like you just, and I know there's playing the game and, and I know you're trying to feel this out, but like there's kind of like a, like a shade of gray and maybe like a little bit of line in the sand where you cross the line a little bit and he's crossing that line where it's just like, come on, man, you can't feel that way about everybody, especially this early on. You just can't. Well, I agree and disagree. I agree uh, on the fact that 
yeah, he doesn't need to be so over the top so early on. Like you don't love Madison after knowing her for three hours. That's not realistic. Um, I do think he's someone that seems to lead with his emotions more than maybe some of the other bachelors and bachelorettes we've had. Um, but I disagree in the sense of, I don't think he's doing it to sleep with them. Meaning he can sleep with whoever he wants to on the show and he'll get to sleep with at least the top three and everyone knows that that's the end result. So I don't think he's doing it for that reason because he, especially him of all the bachelors, he's the most sexualized and they bring so much attention to it. Yes. And as we know, he's for sure going to have sex with multiple women and he's made out with everyone. It's more, so than, I don't think it's he's, more than, it's more than three. It's more than yeah, just of course. Yeah. So we know that. So in that respect, I don't think that's the reason he's doing it. I think, you know, none of us have been in his position. We don't know how to react. You know, you're in the moment. Think about, like, you're in these exaggerated versions of life, of these, like, romantic scenarios. You're at your parents' vow renewal. You're at a private concert with someone that you are really attracted to and think is a really good person. I think it's it's easy for us to say looking in, but I could imagine that it would be very easy to fall into a trap of just getting caught up in the moment. Sure, I get that. And I just want to make it clear. I'm not saying that like he's doing it to sleep with them because he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to play that card. But he's that type of guy where it's just like he kind of lulls them in by by being overly affectionate where you kind of know that can't be the case at that moment in time because there just hasn't been enough time. And you can't be doing – and this is partially ABC's fault. You can't be doing these kind of dates – and then just be like hooking up with chicks all over the place. Like it just, it makes him look bad. It makes him yeah. look bad. Yeah, I hear that. But you also have to say like the girls also have their own minds and they should also understand that, you know, they shouldn't put so much weight into everything he's telling them on night one. Yes, that is true too. But, but. Not to uh, not to uh, speak to gender stereotypes, but you know, traditionally, I hope I don't get canceled for this. Traditionally, you know, women are more eager to fall, and it's the guy who kind of figures it out later. And to me, it's just like Peter's like overcompensating for that. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, but also look at what happened to him recently. He was all in and she wasn't. And I yes. think that could also be partly where he's coming from of any affection that he's getting from girls. I think he's really like jumping on that because he probably felt so rejected multiple times from the last scenario. That's actually a good point. And, and having been on that side also where I've been all in and somebody else hasn't or hasn't been to nearly the level that I was. I know what that feels like and I know what the rebound is like because, again, I've I've been there. I actually didn't think about that. But I, I just – I don't think he's doing himself any favors because he came in, you know, with the reputation of, you know, four times in the windmill, right? And now he's just not helping his own cause and he's he's – or at least in the in the season premiere, he he definitely wanted to move away from that. He wanted the conversation to move away from that. Like it made him visibly uncomfortable. But when you when you do this now, like you're not helping helping uh you know feed that. You you I should say you are feeding the the, the playboyness to it. If if you want to move away from that, like that you're this good guy who had his heart broken, like you got to be a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more cognizant of this stuff. 
It's hard, I but you have that. to. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, I'm sure watching it back now, he probably would agree with you. But again, in the moment, you say things, yeah. you know? Can We've you, all been there. Can you imagine, you know, being on the show and watching yourself back? It's got to be the worst. Oh the worst. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing before we let you go um, is, you know, Madison is wonderful. My love <laughs> for her grows by the day. And she's too good for Peter. Okay. That's what I said. Do you, do you have any thoughts on the bit of a scandal that happened with her? I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Madison, I'll run your burner account. I don't care if you <laughs> mess up. I don't care if you pat yourself on the back. You're fantastic. You're wonderful. You're by far the best girl there. By far. I, mean, I, I do agree. And my hope and call is still that she's runner up and becomes the bachelorette. Well, for my own personal uh, emotions, I hope that's not the case. Well, I hope she's a runner-up, and I and I hope that uh, I can somehow slide into the DMs well enough and um and convince her to do otherwise. But anyway, um, Lizzie, <laughs> as always, it's a pleasure. And anytime we record on a third on a Tuesday, when um you know during the season, we're we're gonna have to you know squeeze you in for a segment. I mean, this was wonderful. As it always Listen, is. Listen, I love I love being here. So call me whenever. Absolutely. Speak to you soon. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks again to my two excellent guests, uh, Josh and Lizzie. You guys were awesome tonight. Thanks for giving me the time. Action packed episode, episode sixty eight for the love of the game. Also, uh, I'd be reminisced to uh, if I didn't mention this. Shout out to Derek Jeter, my. My favorite New York athlete of all time so far made the Hall of Fame today. Uh, I can't believe I forgot to add that in the monologue. Shout out to him, the captain, number two. I I miss that guy so much. But anyway, uh, we're throwing that in there late. But that's episode 68 for the love of the game. Take us out, Luda. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube